That song comes from the book of Ezekiel when the Lord asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, oh Lord, only you know. Can these bones live? I hear them rattling. So I'm going to jump right in today. Today's session number four of five. Next week will be the final if the Lord is willing. And what I haven't told you so far is how all of this particular part came to be. And uh, I feel like I need to do that. So I told you that it all came in a time of prayer, but it was kind of a sequential order of things. So um, I started praying. Uh, it was years ago. I started, I, I was reading through uh, Isaiah and I got to Isaiah 62. And in Isaiah 62, I came under conviction that I should start to pray every day for Jerusalem. So I started to pray Isaiah 62. I prayed, Lord, that I would not rest nor give you rest until you've made Jerusalem the praise of the whole earth. And it's in Isaiah 62. Well, that was followed up by, um, basically I'm praying for the king to come to Jerusalem. That's the only way Jerusalem's gonna receive the praise of the earth is that a rightful king comes. So then I started to pray. That led me to pray, well, while I wait for you to make Jerusalem the praise of the whole earth, I pray that I would not fall into temptation while I'm in the time of waiting. And it was in that point that God revealed to me, I pray, so I will not fall into temptation, that I would be deceived, distracted, dissuaded, discouraged, or disheartened. But, and then this comes from the Gospel of Luke, but I will be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. And then I pray for a sense of urgency equal to the number of days that are left and a faith that would not fail you or dishonor your name even unto death or great loss. Now I gotta tell you that when I first started praying that last prayer, I used to say I pray for faith that would not fail you or dishonor you even unto death. And then I got to thinking, no, 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 that's not where I'll be tempted. It'll be in the great loss. Because death at that point would be the reward. So I added to it that I wouldn't fail you even unto death or great loss. So here's, here's what it sounds like in that prayer that the Lord put all of this in. Lord, I pray for Jerusalem, the city of the great king. I pray that I would not rest nor give you rest until you've made Jerusalem the praise of the whole earth. And I pray, Lord, while I wait, I could not fall into temptation. I pray, Lord, that I could not be deceived, distracted, dissuaded, discouraged, or disheartened but that I would be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. And I pray for a sense of urgency equal to the days that are left and a faith that would not fail you or dishonor your name even unto death or great loss. That's where all this came from. I really feel like I need to tell you that you think I just sat in the office one day and found, okay, D, 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 D. No, no, it's not, that's not how it works with me. Maybe it's how it works with you, but that's not how it works with me. While we wait. The core of all of that is how do I live while I wait for the Lord to make Jerusalem the praise of the whole earth because the rightful king has taken his rightful place on the throne there. While we wait. We started with deceived. It is to believe something that's not true, typically in order to gain advantage. 
We went to distracted, unable to concentrate because you're so preoccupied with the things of the world that you cannot focus on heaven. You cannot focus on the eternal because all you see is the temporary. And then we went to dissuaded, to persuade someone to not take a particular course of action. Come wash and be healed. It can't be that simple, unless it is. And today it is discouraged. Listen carefully, church. Discouraged. The definition for discouraged is to lose your courage, to lose your confidence, and to lose your enthusiasm. So when I pray, I'm, I got in my mind that, Lord, I feel like these are the tools of Satan that he would like to use against me while I wait for the king to come to Jerusalem, while I wait for the king to come for me. I pray I could not be deceived, distracted, dissuaded, discouraged. I don't want to lose my courage. I don't want to lose my confidence. I don't want to lose my enthusiasm. So I'll ask you a question today, church. Have you ever lost your courage? Have you ever become afraid? Be honest. Maybe that's you right now. Maybe you come in and you sit down today, and if you would tell the truth, you're afraid. You're afraid of what's going on in your life. You're afraid of what's going on in your family. You're afraid of what's going on at your job. You're afraid of what's going on in this world. You're afraid. You're discouraged. We're two years into a pandemic. We can't ignore the reality that our world changed a couple of years ago. So two years into this pandemic, how is your courage? Have you, under the pressure of this worldwide event, unconsciously, unconsciously become a fearful person? I mean, I'm seeing it in a lot of places. People who were never very fearful suddenly are very fearful people. Is it possible that you've become, not even knowing it, discouraged? You weren't always fearful. You weren't always a fearful person and something happened. You haven't always been unsure about things, unsure about your circumstance, unsure about yourself, your family, your environment, your job, but, but something happened. You became discouraged. I've watched it happen to a lot of people over the years. It usually starts small, but not always. Maybe it was a series of small events or one large thing, but something happened that the Lord has convinced me that I need to pray about every day. I pray that I could not become discouraged. Your enthusiasm is gone. So what are the signs of this discouragement that we should guard our hearts against? Because it is a tool of Satan to de deceive and distract and dissuade and discourage, to take us away from the, the laser sight on heaven about the important things and get us off onto other things. What are the signs? Your enthusiasm is gone. You just start going through the motions. You're existing, but you're not living. You're just, you're just going through the motions. Why? Because you're fearful. You're discouraged. You probably don't even notice that it's gone, your enthusiasm. Listen, I confess something. I fight it too. That's why I pray this every day. Do you think I don't struggle with discouragement? 
when you preach and you wonder why people aren't responding? You think it never hits me? It does hit me, and I pray that I not fall into the, the temptation of discouragement. It is a temptation. It is a tool of Satan where he can make you fruitless. He can make you fearful, unfruitful in your life. It's almost impossible. Here's why. It's almost impossible. I've come to this conclusion. It's almost impossible to carry out God's calling and purpose in your life if you're discouraged. If you lose your courage and become fearful, you're paralyzed. Because what it does is it, it causes you to freeze in place rather than move forward with the very thing that you're called to do, but you don't because you're frozen in fear and anxiety and discouragement. One of the main purposes Maybe you don't even know. One of the main purposes of our weekly assembly at church, the reason why we come together in this room today is to encourage you. Do you understand that one of our primary goals in the assembly of the body of Christ is to encourage you? Why? So that you won't become discouraged. Because when you live in the world, the world is very discouraging. But you come in here and suddenly there is an encouragement and encouragement is the best medicine for discouragement. We gather together today, and it is our intention to pour encouragement into each other because we know that the world we live in is going to try to drain it out when you leave here. So we're going to pour into each other, not just from a sermon, but from just friendships and acquaintances and a pat on the back and how are you today? And just, just knowing that we're not in this thing by ourselves is encouraging. Let's be honest. Church, sometimes it looks like, it looks like we're losing. It does. I, I say it out loud. It looks like we're losing. Sometimes our circumstances are frightening. And sometimes our circumstances are unsure. I'm convinced after years of Bible study in my own personal life that this is true. Fear is the enemy of faith. It is the enemy of faith. And faith is the foundation of everything in our walk with Christ. And yet fear is the enemy. Fear is what keeps faith from becoming faith, real. Faith, you know the definition. I grew up with the definition. Faith is to be sure of what you hope for and certain of what you cannot see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Sure and certain, right? Sure and certain of what we hope for. Faith is to be confident, right? That's what faith is. You can't just call it that and not be confident. Faith is sure, certain, confident of the promises of God revealed through the Holy Scriptures. Faith is not just an intellectual thing. Faith is sure and certain and confident about what? This. About this. It's not just this. It's this. I'm sure and confident and certain about something. Someone. This. It's called faith. In Hebrews 11, verse 1, 
from the New Living Translation. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in old, in, in days of old, earned a good reputation. Faith is not optional equipment or a gift to the spiritually elite of the church. Faith is crucial, and faith, let's, let's just make it simple, faith saves your life. Faith saves your soul from eternity of darkness and separation from God. So faith is a big deal. And fear is the enemy of faith because fear keeps your faith from producing the fruit, the life that faith was designed to do. Do you think there's a direct connection between faith and courage? Here's where we're going today. Do you think there's a connection between faith and courage? Or maybe you think somebody could say, I have faith, but I am a coward. It doesn't make any sense. If I have faith, I am not a coward. Or you've redefined the word faith to something that isn't faith anymore. I have faith and I have courage because they are the same. In Hebrews 11, verse 5, it was by faith that Enoch, he's going to be my, our study guy today. It was by what? Faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. How did this Enoch get taken up to heaven without dying? By faith. Pay attention. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared. Poof, he's gone. Because God took him. For before he was taken, he was known as a person who pleased God. Now, here comes the definition of faith, so we don't get tempted to make up our own definition. And it is impossible to please God without faith. And anyone who wants to come to God must believe that, number one, God exists. Now, I found out that's really the easier of the two. It's impossible to please God. We must believe that God exists, right? What's faith? I believe that God exists, but there's a second part to this faith thing, and that he rewards those who sincerely or earnestly seek him. Number two. So, in the room today, do you believe that God exists? I have to believe you believe that, or you wouldn't be out here. And that's not really the struggle. At least, it's never been my struggle. But do you believe that God rewards those who earnestly seek him? You know, the context of that particular scripture is there's a guy that got snatched out of here because he had it. Enoch was earnestly seeking God. He had this faith, this connection to God, and God says, come on, let's go. Let me begin today with this bit of encouragement. Okay, you ready? I'm going to do it several times. As of right now, it is still possible that you and I will be modern-day Enochs. I'm going to say it again because y'all didn't seem very excited. I think I'm the only one that was excited by that sentence. As of right now, it is still possible, and I'm going to even add highly probable, that you and I are going to be modern-day Enochs. That's better. Enoch was taken off of the earth before the judgment. 
Do you understand something? He was taken off of the earth before the judgment of God fell upon the earth. In that case, it was the flood. We could be modern-day Enoch's taken off of the earth before the judgment, which in this case would be the tribulation itself. Would you assume, would you assume that Enoch lived a life of courage or fear? Do you think Enoch? Now, now the reason I bring that up is this. We know that the world became increasingly evil through the time of Enoch and Noah and brought the judgment. Do you assume that Enoch lived a life of courage or fear as the time of God's judgment came near? So as things got really bad around Enoch, do you think he went, I'm afraid. Or he used that circumstance to increase his fellowship and dependence upon God. Which one do you think he was when he's the guy that got taken away? Do you see? In the Hebrews, and this is New Testament, he's used as the example. Enoch had faith. It's obvious that the world in the time of Enoch had turned their backs on God, just like today. There's a parallel, don't miss the parallel. He's kind of this preview event of a bigger event that's coming at the end when Christ the King comes for his bride. But it's also obvious that Enoch did not let the apostasy all around him cause him to be discouraged so that he was fearful, paralyzed, and unfruitful. There was an apostasy in the time of Enoch. There's an apostasy in our time as well. But did the apostasy around Enoch cause him to become discouraged? No, obviously not. He was full of faith. He was, had a close relationship with God. Enoch pleased God in the midst of, this discourage, of his discouraging world around him. How did Enoch please God in the midst of the apostasy and the discouragement? How did he do it? Faith. Faith. Faith is the only way to please God then. Faith is the only way to please God now. Yes, there are discouraging things going on around us today. You just go outside and look. It's everywhere. But we must live by faith. Lord, please keep me from falling into temptation. May I not be deceived, may I not be distracted, may I not be dissuaded, may I not be discouraged and disheartened. We must believe not only that God exists. Church, in the Enoch passage, it says that without faith it is impossible to please God, and it, by faith we believe, number one, that God exists. And, and you know what? Of course, that's where it has to start. But we must believe not only, not only that God exists, but that He rewards those who earnestly, sincerely seek Him. That He wants to reward you. He wants to give you an inheritance beyond your comprehension. He wants to. But the way to receive the inheritance is faith. That's it. That's how it's going to work. And how do we seek Him? He rewards those who earnestly seek him. So how do we seek him? Well, how did Enoch seek him? How? Well, let's read Genesis 5.23. Enoch lived 365 years, 
walking in close fellowship with God. And then one day he disappeared because God took him. Enoch walked in close fellowship with God. Let me, let me give you a visual. So here's Enoch and here's God. What do you think close fellowship? What do you think faith looked like in Enoch's life? What, what, if, if, if he had faith, so the kind of faith that God just said, come on, before the judgment comes upon the earth, I'm just going to come get you. What did it look like? Enoch, God. Did it look like this or did it look like this? Enoch, God. Which one did it look like? This. So how do you do it? Same way. What does faith look like? This? No. Faith doesn't look like that. We believe that God exists and He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. That's this. It's not this. I say it again, especially to some of you who are feeling very discouraged in this life of following Christ and living under the authority of the Word of God. As of right now, listen carefully, as of right now, there is still a chance that you and I could be modern-day Enoch. And when that comes out of my mouth, I can't help it. It's one of those moments when I look at the audience and I wonder how many people actually sitting in this room really believe that. And yet you would probably say to yourself that you have faith. And yet, if you would be honest with yourself, there is no part of your mind that comprehends the possibility that one day God will come for his Enoch. And the big question of faith is this. Do you really believe this? I do. And I found increasingly that it makes a lot of people look at me like, mm, you're a little over the edge. You are. And hey, I've kind of gotten used to it. You're a little over the edge. You talk about Jesus coming all the time. So did they. So did they. Because I actually believe this stuff. Jesus will be coming specifically. Church, I, I, I've, I've said twice, there's a possibility that you and I could be the generation of Enoch's. But that's the good news. You know what the bad news is? The bad news is that he's going to be coming specifically to get those who actually really, really, really believe that. Do, do you, you need to get this part before we go on. When he comes for the Enoch's of this generation, he's coming for those who are actually looking for him to be coming. The thief in the night comment he gives multiple occasions because they're not looking for him and they're not going to be going in the Enoch train. But the Enochs are, they've been, they've been, I, I've been waiting for you for a long time. They've been expecting him. They've been anticipating Messiah's arrival. The Bible says the church will escape the judgment of God. Enoch escaped the judgment of God. Those who, uh, those who walk by faith and close fellowship with God will escape the judgment of God. So the Apostle Paul writes a letter. And he writes a letter to uh, a church in Thessalonica. And I want to read that part of that letter to you. So what are we doing? We're trying to figure out 
What is it to be discouraged, and that is to become afraid, lose your courage and confidence and enthusiasm? So how do I keep from losing my confidence and enthusiasm? How? Okay. This is it right here. This is it. Because I'm, I'm going to tell you what's coming. All right. First Thessalonians 4.16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. The Lord himself, Jesus will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And first, there's going to be two things that are going to happen when he comes down. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves, okay? So when he comes down, loud shout, voice of the archangel, trumpet blast, and, and graves are going to open up. Only Christian graves, okay? If you're not a Christian, you ain't going anywhere, not yet. First, the Christians who have died are going to rise from their graves. Then, number two, this is the second thing. Then, together with them, which tells you there's not a big time gap here. Then, together with those, who, who's those? The, my grandmother, my grandfather, those Christians who have died. They're going to, together with them, we who are still alive, the Enochs of this generation, and remain on the earth, will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. There we will be with the Lord forever. Now, here it comes. Verse 18, so encourage each other with these words. Did it work? I read that and I say, yeehaw. But I, but I actually believe that. See, the only way that doesn't encourage you, you still don't believe it. You still, you, you'd, like to, you'd, you'd like to, but you just don't. You know what it means? You don't have faith. You might say you have faith, you like to pretend you have faith, but you don't have faith. Faith is being sure of what you hope for, certain of what you cannot see. Are you sure and certain that one day this is going to happen? Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Encourage is the cure of discourage. Did it work? It will if you believe it. It's called faith. And as of right now, you could still be an Enoch. But what if the Lord's delay? Okay, okay. Okay, preacher. You got my attention. There's a chance we could be Enoch's. Okay? Every generation since the time of Christ has hoped they could be the generation of Enoch's. But yet, my grandparents died. So what if the Lord delays? All right, let's get practical. Here's the practical application today. So what if this is the series while we wait? Because we're waiting. What if the Lord delays? Actually, those believers who have already died and were buried will actually rise first. You want some encouragement? Actually, did you notice that the believers that have already died while they were waiting will rise first ahead of us who are still, as of right now, going to be Enoch's? Verse 13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. My grandparents, using this example. So you'll not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, we believe in the resurrection, right? Say amen. amen. If you believe in the resurrection, then you've got to believe in this next part. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, 
We also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Well, why is he bringing them back here? And if they're dead and buried, why, what's he bringing back? Their soul went to, believers' souls went to be with him in paradise, in heaven. But when he comes back, their souls are coming back and the bodies that are dead and buried are going to rise and the soul is going into a resurrected body eternally. Stay with me. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. That's why they're coming back. Their soul's coming back. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. So, I'm going to ask you, do you actually believe this First Thessalonians that I just read to you is a word from God? We believe he talks like that. He's got a big voice. Do you believe what I just read is a word from God? Because I do. I do. I believe he has declared the future. I want you to know. That's what he said. I want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. If you believe Jesus died and rose from the dead, then you would automatically believe that when he returns, he's going to bring back the souls and the resurrection of the last day, and their souls are going to go in a resurrected body. Now, if you believe that, it's really hard to be discouraged. Why? Well, what if you die? Well, they're dead, and their souls are with him. They're going to get a new body. What if you, what if you don't die? Well, then you can be an Enoch. It's called faith. It's called faith. We have encountered a word from God. We believe it. We receive it. We trust in it. The word, that word that I just read, is encouraging. And that word has the power to do something to me. That word, what I just read to you, overpowers my discouragement. Because it encourages me. And encourage overcomes discourage. And when I get encouraged, guess what? I'm not afraid. I'm not fearful. I don't lose my confidence. And I am the opposite of lacking in enthusiasm. Why? Are you ready? Why? You can't lose. You can't lose. Dead or alive, you can't lose. If you're dead, you, when he comes back, you go first. Well, your soul, you've already been in heaven. You're just waiting that new body to put your soul in. Dead or alive, you can't lose. Are you listening? You can't lose. Dead or alive, you can't lose. If you have faith in Christ and you refuse to be discouraged, fear is the enemy of faith. Fear is the absence of courage. The absence of to be discouraged is fear, to be afraid. What's the problem with being afraid? Because fear is the enemy of faith. It keeps your faith from becoming faith. Are you with me? It keeps fear, prevents faith from being real. It becomes some ideological faith that's not a real faith at all. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? God chose. Let's, let's lay a foundation here. I didn't choose him, he chose me. I didn't call him. I didn't wake up one day and call him. He called me. 
For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Anybody see Enoch? Anybody see Enoch? He was saved, taken off the earth before the flood arrived. God chose to, I believe that's also a picture of the church. Are you with me? God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us, whether we're dead or alive, when he returns. Whether we're dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already done. You see what he just did? He just prescribed the medicine that would get you over the discouragement of the dead and the live concept. Which one? It doesn't matter. Encourage each other with what? This. Have faith in what? This. Him. That word that I just read only encouraged people who believed it. It's called faith. And if you don't believe it today, you're still welcome here. I, I'm, I want you to keep coming here until your faith is real. Real. While we wait. We're all waiting. In that prayer I told you, I pray, Lord, that I would not rest or give you rest until you've made Jerusalem the praise of this whole earth. Because there's a king coming. And while we wait, I pray that we could not fall into this temptation. That we could not be discouraged in our time of waiting. So what do we do? While we wait, what, what do we do while we wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to come? What, we do what Enoch did. We walk in close fellowship with God. Now, now, there's a little difference. I'm going to tell you what the difference is. Today, we walk in fellowship with God by believing and receiving the promises of God through the Son. In Hebrews, uh, it says that, in, in actually Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, in the past, God spoke to the, through the prophets in various ways in various times. He even spoke through a, a donkey. He even spoke through, you know, various angels and all, all this kind of burning bushes. But in these last days, how he speak? He's spoken to us through his son. So the Enoch and uh, Enoch time and our time, there's, there's a little difference. I want to show you what that means. So we still got the same issue. Enoch walked in close fellowship with God. So Enoch and God, Enoch and God. So we do what Enoch did. While we wait, we do what Enoch did, walk in close fellowship. Today, it's based upon the promises of God through Jesus Christ, the Son. Fellowship with God today is to, let me make this simple. Fellowship with God today versus the time of Enoch is to receive the Holy Spirit, which is Christ in me. So Jesus and Terry. Jesus and Terry. Close fellowship. Enoch was taken away because he walked by faith and lived in close fellowship with God. In our generation, we must walk by faith and live in close fellowship. And how do I accomplish close fellowship with God? Christ in me. 
That's, that's it. That, that, that's the only way this is going to work. It's Christ in me, the Holy Spirit in me. We become one with Christ. Paul writes the, the following to Timothy and to the church, past and present, the Word of God. Here we go, 2 Timothy 1.5. I remember your genuine faith. Notice the word faith, how many times it pops up here. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I, when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given you, Timothy, a spirit of fear and timidity, but power, love, and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord, and don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for Him. With the strength God gives me, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. Do you realize that the Apostle Paul wrote that from a prison cell? And what he said in there is faith, 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 genuine faith, share the faith, Enoch type of faith, fan the flames of faith into a powerful force. Faith, 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 faith. And then he says something, the Holy Spirit does not bring fear and discouragement, timidity. So here's the question, all right? All of that is so I can ask everybody this question today. If you are in the room or you're watching online today, and if you were honest and you're battling fear and discouragement right now in your life, I need to tell you something. It is not from God. And if it's not from God, who do you think gave it to you? Where do you think it's coming from? If if the Holy Spirit, for God did not give you a spirit of fear and timidity. So if, if you've got fear and timidity, and timidity is the idea of being discouraged because you're frozen in place. You, you're not moving out. You're, you're, not, you're not actively involved in this kingdom of God movement across the earth, supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit, because you're frozen in place. You're afraid. Where does it come from? The Holy Spirit brings power, love, self-discipline, the opposite of discouragement. So if, we, if the Holy Spirit doesn't give fear and timidity, who does? The unholy spirit. The spirit of Antichrist. That's why, listen, that's why this series came out of my time in prayer. When I said, Lord, don't, while I wait, while, while I wait, don't let me fall into temptation. Understanding that one of the temptations that Satan uses is discouragement, which keeps the church from becoming powerful. Because you're afraid. You're fearful. Paul had every reason to be discouraged because he's in prison, waiting death, right? But Paul knows something big. How do you not get discouraged in prison? Huh? How does that happen? Paul knows something big. Paul knows about the resurrection of the dead. 
Yes, Paul's circumstances are rotten, but the resurrection is bigger than rotten circumstances. Paul places his discouraging and dark circumstances in front of the light of truth, and the light of truth removes his fears and doubts. So Paul, what are Paul's circumstances? He's in prison, and he recognizes by this point in 2 Timothy that he's not getting out. He's going to die there. He knows it. So he takes his circumstances, which could be discouraging, could be, and he takes them and holds them in front of the light of truth, the promises of God about what's going to happen if they do cut your head off. And they did. And what happens? The discouragement is replaced by the truth of God's promise. You see, it would only work for anybody who believe that these promises are true. You see, it would only work if you have legitimate faith. Without the Holy Spirit, so if that's, God did not give us a spirit of fear and timidity, that didn't come from the Holy Spirit, that didn't come from God, that came from the unholy spirit. And here's the deal, without the Holy Spirit, you have every reason today to be afraid. So if you don't have the Holy Spirit today, and you are um, fearful, I get it. If you don't have the Holy Spirit today and you're afraid, you have every reason to be discouraged. Why? Because without the Holy Spirit, you are lost. This is a fearful and discouraging reality. Without the Holy Spirit, without Christ in me, redeeming me, purifying me, forgiving me, interceding on my behalf before the Father, without Him, I'm lost. I'm lost. You're lost. You must have the Holy Spirit to be saved. The Spirit gives us what? Power, courage. It's the opposite of being discouraged. The Holy Spirit does not bring fear and doubt. He brings confidence, sureness, and certainty. We cannot, listen church, we cannot carry out the mission of the church in these last days if we were constantly fearful, constantly discouraged by the world around us. Why? Because we win. We win. Let me give you an illustration. This is kind of a football time of the year. There's big football games all over right now. So I've often thought of this, this uh, sports analogy that the church was designed by God to be on offense. We were never designed to be on defense. We're supposed to be on offense. We're supposed to take the, the football, the Bible, we take the Word of God, and we're supposed to advance the kingdom. We start going down the field, but they want to tackle us. Okay, they tackle you. You get back up and you go off again. You just, you just keep advancing. The power of the Holy Spirit, you just keep advancing. You just keep, you, yes, there's opposition. Yes, there are people against us. Yes, yes, of course there is. The, but here's the, this is an offensive weapon. And this offensive weapon is offensive to the defense. Think about it. They don't like it. They don't believe it. So they try to stop it. The problem with the church is the church, after being tackled a few times, maybe you're in the room today and say, well, I've been tackled so hard that I don't really want to carry that thing anymore. <laughs> or maybe I watched that guy get tackled and it was ugly. I'm not, don't, don't give it to me. So what happens? You end up in your end zone. Rather than being on offense, you go on defense. And you think your job is to protect this. 
And you just kind of huddle down and cover your head hoping somebody doesn't slip in and hit you anyway. That is not the calling of the church. We're to advance the kingdom. You will never advance the kingdom of Christ until you stop being afraid. We're on a mission. We've been called by God, go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I, and I, where's the power? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Have you forgotten, church, that we win? This game's already determined in advance. We win. Dead or alive, when he returns, we win. But what about trouble, preacher? We win. What about hardship and suffering, preacher? They can put you in jail. We win. What about the grave? We win. Win what? That's the next logical question. Win what? A crown of righteousness. Do you know what that is? This crown belongs to all who are longing, waiting for Jesus' return. Oh, Lord, while I wait, please keep me from becoming discouraged. So let's take a test. Everybody loves tests. No, we don't. And as I read 2 Timothy 4, verse 5, I'm going to ask you, Paul's writing this from prison. Is this you? And are you sure? Is this you? Okay, are you in this story? Verse 5. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering. Don't be afraid that they're going to tackle you. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others about the uh, others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. As for me, Paul said, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. Notice that phrase. I have kept the faith. And now a prize awaits me. Oh my. The crown of righteousness. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And this prize is not just for me. Somebody say hallelujah. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'd be excited to read this today and know that Paul was going to get a crown of righteousness, but I'm way more excited to know that we also are going to get one too. It's not just for me, but for all who are eagerly looking forward to his appearing. Is that you? You know who's going to get the crown of righteousness? Those who are eagerly looking forward to his appearing. Are you afraid to accept this calling of Christ because of what it might cost you? Let's be honest. What keeps people from receiving Christ by faith? What is it? They're, they're afraid. Maybe it's the example they're going down the field. I saw somebody who was a Christian. They got tackled. Terrible things happened to them. Or maybe I got tackled and terrible things happened to me. Are you afraid of becoming a Christian because you might have to suffer? Maybe you're looking at it all wrong. Maybe your, your calculation is upside down. What is the value of the inheritance of the crown of righteousness? What's that thing worth? So weigh the two. What's the potential of suffering for the cause of Christ? Yeah, you might suffer. Don't be, he says, don't be afraid to suffer. But what's the value of the crown of righteousness? Which one? Which one's worth more? 
Rather than what's it going to cost me, what will I gain by the crown of righteousness? What is the value? Let me rephrase it. What is the value of your soul? Is anything more valuable than your soul? What would you sell your soul for? I've told you today that discouragement is to become fearful. There is something you ought to be afraid of today. You ought to be afraid of losing your soul. Why? Because you were too afraid to let go of the control of your life into the authority of the king. Of that, you should be terrified. Afraid to lose your soul because you were too afraid to let go of control of your life into the hands. It's called faith. To deny yourself, take up a cross to follow him is called faith. Here's what Jesus says about this fear. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with His angels in the glory of His Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. There's one, I have one last picture, one last scene I want to share with you today. Two guys. I need to show you these two guys. Moses and Joshua. I suppose there was no one quite like Moses who walked in fellowship with God. In fact, the Bible says this about Moses' fellowship with God. Deuteronomy 34. There has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. The Lord sent him to perform all the miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and in his entire land with mighty power. Notice the word, with mighty power, Moses performed terrifying acts in the sight of all of Israel. Mighty power. How would you like to follow Moses? And I don't mean follow him through the wilderness. I'm talking about Moses is gone and you got to take his job. How would you like to follow Moses? In other words, if God posted Moses' job vacancy, would you send in a resume? Would you? I can do that. No. Who could possibly do what Moses did? But God needed someone to take his people across the River Jordan into the Promised Land. God wants to get all of his children across the river, out of the wilderness, into the Promised Land. Then, now, it's the same. God wants to get all of his children out of this discouraging wilderness and move them into the Promised Land. It's his plan. Sometimes when I get discouraged, I will go back and read what I'm about to read to you today. And when I read it, it takes away my fear and discouragement and it replaces it with courage and strength. It almost always is one of my first places I go when I get discouraged. I take my circumstance and I lay them alongside of what I'm about to read to you. Here we go. Joshua 1.1. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Are you getting it? Whoa, that's big. 
I promise you, Joshua, what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north. From the Euphrates rivers in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. Including all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. You want power? There you go. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you and I will not abandon you. Here it comes. Be strong and courageous. For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study the book of instructions continually. I'm holding it up. Study the book of instructions continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed. What's he connecting here? Study the book. Study my words. Only then will you be able to prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. And here comes our word. And do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Jesus, Terry, he is with you. Did it work? It does for me. I read that when I get discouraged. Study the book of instructions continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper. Only then will you succeed in everything you do. Church, we have all been called by God to help guide His called and blessed children out of this dark, discouraging wilderness into the promised land. This promised land is an eternal land that flows with everlasting milk and honey. And it is the inheritance for all who have received Jesus Christ by faith. God told Joshua that no one would be able to stand against him. He says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you. I will not abandon you. Church, you have received the same calling of God. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. When the Spirit comes to you, I will never abandon you when I call you. Do you believe it? It's called faith. It's called faith. Joshua encountered the Word of God. And the Lord spoke to Joshua. He encountered the Word of God. He believed that Word. He received that Word as power, as authority. And now that was the Old Testament. I know here's what people are going to say. Yeah, he used to do that stuff in the Old Testament. This is Paul's revelation in the New Testament to the church. Ephesians 6, 17. He says, put on salvation as a helmet. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I want you to contrast what God told Joshua and what Paul told the Ephesus church. Study the book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you be able to prosper and succeed in all that you do. We have a powerful weapon. 
the sword of the Spirit, and it makes me strong in the midst of this battle of discouragement. There was a time that the church was known as the people of the Word. That day is gone. That day is gone. The generation coming up, you were to say, find me Isaiah. Very few of them can do it. They'd have to Google it. And it's not funny. And it's not funny. It's the reality of what's happened. And parents, you went along with it. And grandparents, you went along with it. And they don't know what the word is. Joshua had the Spirit of God with him. And the reality is, you know what the difference is? We have the Spirit of God inside of us. Even more powerful. We have a powerful weapon. The sword of the Spirit. I feel strong while holding this powerful sword. And I feel afraid and alone without it. The sword of the Spirit means Christ is fighting this battle with me. I am not alone. Then God tells Joshua what everyone in this room needs to hear today. God says it three times. Be strong and very courageous. It's hard to be discouraged when you're filled with courage. God told Joshua not to turn to the left and not to turn to the right. You know how I interpret that. Do not be deceived. Do not be distracted. Do not be dissuaded. Do not be discouraged and do not be disheartened. Set your face like flint on a certain direction. Focus on heaven. Focus on what you know is coming. This crown of righteousness. How? How can I keep on this straight path? Joshua 1.8. I'll read it again. Study this book of instruction continually. Church. This is it. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you'll be sure to obey everything written. Only then will you prosper. Only then will you succeed in all that you do. This is supernatural. It's not letters on a page. It is the word of life. It is God himself. There you go. The cure for discouragement and fear. Study this book of instructions continually. Study and then obey the words from this book. It's called faith. This book cures the fearful discouragement of the wilderness journey. Do you know how? This book reveals the promised land that's coming to those who believe the words in this book. Like Enoch, we live in a messed up and sin-filled world and the judgment of God is coming. And like Joshua, we are weary travelers on a wilderness journey and we long to cross over Jordan. One more time, verse 9. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Be strong, church. The Lord your God is with you. Do you believe this stuff? Today, my encouragement only encourages those who believe. Enoch has already found the promised land. God came and he got him. As of right now, here we go, as of right now, you and I still have a chance to be Enoch's. The deliverer is coming. The judgment of God is also coming. 
Do you believe that? Or are you today, in reality, deceived, distracted, dissuaded, discouraged, and disheartened? Joshua has also found the promised land, along with Moses. They both died and were buried, but dead or alive. Two examples. Did you notice Enoch through the rapture, Joshua, Moses through the grave, dead or alive? Does it matter? One last time, 1 Thessalonians 5.10. Christ died for us, so whether we're dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already doing. Today, you have in your possession a sword, a supernatural sword of the Spirit of Christ. It is an offensive weapon. Discouragement puts the church and individuals on defense, protecting your goal line, standing in the end zone and covering your head. And it is not our calling. Courage puts the church on offense. The sword is an offensive weapon. So, are we winning? The church, are we winning? Are we losing the church? Sometimes it looks like we're just stuck on defense. Sometimes we get tackled. Sometimes we get on defense, but we cannot remain on defense. So I ask a question, then I want to show you something. Can we really, as a church, make a difference in this wilderness journey? I want to show you some of the highlights from this past season called 2021. Can a church, can a group of people in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky make a difference in this battle of the kingdom of Christ? I want to show you some highlights of what I call last season, 2021, as we prepare offense, as we prepare our offense for this new season called 2022. Now, if you're watching online, you are not going to be able to see this part for copyright reasons, which is another reason why it's better to be here in person. <laughs> to the rest of you, I ask you to watch this last season video. We watch that video and we say glory to his name. <laughs> not by might and not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Can we make a difference? Oh, yes. Yes, do you see this is how he works? The power of the Holy Spirit manifests in normal, everyday, average people. On offense, carrying this kingdom message of eternal life into this area and into this world. Why? Because we have been commissioned by our King to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you and know this. I am with you always, even to the end of this age. Oh, yes, we can make a difference. So we're on offense. I can tell you right now, our plans and the elders and the staff is we're moving out. We are not going to be discouraged. We are not going to be afraid. We are going to advance the kingdom of Christ. And we're asking you to go with us that all of us together are going to continually preach the gospel, share the good news, live out the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, wherever God sticks us, wherever He puts us. This is everlasting life. And don't forget, we might still be the Enix of this generation. We're going to sing a song. 
and the invitation time's open. And I ask you to count the cost of your soul and count the cost of discipleship. Count the cost. You should count the cost. And as we sing this song today, if the Holy Spirit's convicting you about something, please do not refuse to listen. Let's stand.